What's up, y'all? Welcome to Volume 2 of the Atlantic Division Mixtape. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Going to jump into things, talking about the Brooklyn Nets, a Ben Simmons sighting, even though we've seen him everywhere, but he actually showed up in a game last night against a team with the best record in the Western Conference. We'll jump into that. Also, the Celtics remain on fire. They look like they're basically resuming from where they left off last season. Uh, We'll jump into some Celtics talk. Obviously, we're going to talk some Sixers, as well as the Knicks and Raptors. Joining me for this one, as he's going to be doing every week, we're going to be doing this show together. Mr. Chris Milholling covers the Nets for our SB Nation sister site at Nets Daily. Chris, first off, how's everything going over there on the East Coast? And did you stay up last night to watch a game? What's up, brother? And yes, I did. I stayed up very late. So obviously, you know, it's a 10 o'clock startup for the Eastern and for the East folks over here. So, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a game that's worth staying up for. You know, it's not like the Kings where obviously for Nets fans, it wasn't worth staying up for. But, um, you know, last night in Portland, it was it had a lot of big positives to take away from. Obviously, no no bigger one than Ben Simmons. Yeah, you're jumping into that, looking at, at, at the fact the Nets ended up beating Portland 109-107. Uh, ben Simmons, his, easily his best game that he's played since, since being traded over to Brooklyn. 15 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, played a season-high 32 minutes. Kevin Durant had a lot of praise for him after the game. And we saw a little bit of Ben's... Defensive prowess come back. He was guarding Damian Lillard. He guarded Yusuf Nurkic. Looking at, at at what this means potentially, and obviously we'll talk about Kyrie coming back potentially on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. How big of a win was this after giving up 153 points, Chris? 153 to the lowly Sacramento Kings, who look like they're not so lowly anymore, although we're only 14 games into the season for them. But uh, how do you think things are going for Brooklyn? Like, Is, is the helter-skelter going back and forth going to continue or do you think we're going to see this team start hitting its stride now? Well, you know, it's a, it's a good – I would sum it up as a good comeback win after getting embarrassed on national TV, right? Because obviously the Kings game was on TNT. So when you give up a franchise high, especially in a regulation game, obviously they gave up, I think, a couple more points when it was a double OT game. But like you said, when you give up 153 points to the lowly Kings, obviously, you know, you got to give credit where credit's deserved. You know, the Kings did great. You know, they you could tell the fans were – Amped to be on national TV for the first time, and I forget how many years it was. You know, they haven't been on national TV at all, really. Yeah, they don't but, deserve to be either, Chris. Right? Yeah. yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, that too. But um, you know, it, in Portland, it was a huge one. Obviously, they slipped. They slipped by. You know, it was a one hundred nine, one hundred seven win. And you look at kind of how you evaluate this whole thing. You look at obviously starting with Ben. Right, Ben was able to push the push the break in transition. He was able to guard multiple positions, like you hinted at. Obviously, he took some time guarding Yusuf Nurkic, and then he also switched. And he went to Damian Lillard outside the perimeter and did a good job on him as well. But, you know, with Ben, it was a thing on both ends of the floor, right? So when you look at his stat line, obviously, it's 15 points, 13 rebounds, big double-double, his first of his Nets career, 32 minutes, which is the most minutes he's played uh, in, as a net. And when you really look at it, especially down in crunch time, the Sixers, I mean, the, the Trailblazers, they had their game plan of intentionally fouling Simmons and putting him at the line and testing that kind of woe in his game, right? And – he that plant backfired ironically, right? Simmons went three or four from the from, from mm-hmm. outline during that stretch, and, and Kevin Durant spoke highly of it, saying, "Hey, that's the confidence we need out of him. It resonates with the rest of us. It was one of those performances that we want him to keep building on, and that's what we expect out of him, right?" And obviously, Kevin did his own thing, leading the team. Another another 30, 30 plus performance. He finished with thirty five, eight, and three, thirty nine minutes. Obviously, efficient shooting as well. So, and then you look at other guys, obviously Royce had the huge tip in to secure the win uh, in the final seconds. Nick Claxton uh, did well in that starting role in, as well. And then obviously you'd want an Albie who's been the arguably the most bre- the breakout player on this Nets team so far came up huge for them going 20, 20 points, seven boards, two assists. And he shot an electric five of seven from the, from the three point land. Right. So when you sum that all up, especially in a short rotation, they only played eight guys. Well, they played nine guys or 10 guys. But obviously, Seth had a tough shooting night. Cam Thomas obviously only uh, saw the court for seven minutes. But when you put it all together, it's the perfect bow. Obviously, they split the West Coast trip uh, two and two. And now they welcome the Grizzlies on their home floor uh, Sunday night. And you were mentioning there, Chris, you're you're talking about the rotations. uh, Mm -hmm. And again, we'll jump into some Kyrie talk coming up here in a couple of minutes. But 
Uh, how have things been under Jacques Vaughn compared to Steve Nash? I'm impartial to Steve Nash. He's Canadian, just like me. We Everybody loves Steve Nash in Canada, just like we all like Drake. Sorry if you don't want to hear that, but that's just a fact. But uh, looking at, at how things have been different with Jacques Vaughn uh, compared to the previous coach, do you think the Nets look better or worse? How are the rotations? What's going on in your opinion there? I think they look better. You know, I think I think the the parting ways with Steve Nash. I don't think I don't want to call it a a wake up type of thing for this team, but I think it also serves as a motivational factor because people forget that Jacques Vaughn's been with this team since 2016, right? So obviously, the only net to be a lot be around that long has been Joe Harris, right? Every other every other net is I think the second longest tenured net is indeed Kevin Durant. So you see how much changes have been made since the era has begun with uh, the KD Kyrie era in Brooklyn. But you know, I think I think when all the players talk about Jack Vaughn and talk about how you know he simplified the defense, he simplified the offense, he's carving out roles where everyone can be successful. Obviously, no one bigger than Ben, who's been coming off the bench recently, and obviously with him kind of putting together two gr- pretty good games. Obviously, you call them great games in Simmons' standpoint. You know, you could raise the question whether you know he should start, whether he should become a starter again, or you know, is this bench role something that Simmons can thrive in? Which I do. I'm, I'm on the side of let him stay on the bench a little longer, at least for five more games. Don't rush anything. I think he's found his role off the bench. Obviously, Yuta Watanabe is also a great sixth man to have, and he's making even his case to even maybe start in, in, as a starter as well, since he could obviously shoot the ball a little better. I think he's shooting 55% overall this season from three-point land, so that serves volumes itself. But getting back to Jacques, you know, he's one of those guys that simplifies all the all the, the offense and the defensive side of the floor. You could tell that even though he may come off as, like, a soft-knit head coach, like someone that obviously, like, you know, I see a lot of people on Twitter commenting about how he's handling post-game press conferences, the way he's anal- analyzing a lot of stuff, and you know, kind of being a, a little humorous, you know, I, I think a lot of fans um, either like it, hey, we want a tough net head coach or, hey, we want like obviously that soft side. But Jacques meets the middle because you can tell he also holds the players accountable. Kevin Durant spoke about it, how after the Sacramento loss, they had a very deep film session that broke down everything. And you could tell that play, paid huge volumes in this win against Portland. Yeah. And, and and you know, you, you mentioned that, too, with Jacques Vaughn, like, you know, been around the team for so long. Uh, obviously an NBA guy had a, had a very good college career too. So ha- has the pedigree that you'd want to see from a coach and, and hoping that he hits the right notes. One person he's going to have to strike the right note with uh, Chris is Kyrie Irving. Uh, yep. We've heard that he's completed kind of what the, the steps the, the Nets wanted him to do with Josiah uh, telling him, you know, whether that's meeting with people uh, from the Jewish community, making donations, uh, basically better educating himself about some of the stuff he's putting out onto social media. Again, the reports are that he could be back on Sunday when they take on Memphis. Uh, how do you think that is going to go? Like, Because, again, we live in this world now, Chris, where everything is kind of temporary, right? You know what I mean? You hear about a story, that's whether it's good NBA, or bad. You know? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, and, and that, that's what I feel like with Kyrie, as much as he has been this polarizing figure in the NBA world, especially, you know, going back to, hey, the, the flat earth thing, then we went through the vaccine stuff. Now we went through what we went through this year with his anti-Semitic comments. Uh, and the link that he posted on on his social media stuff. But do you think this will just blow over? Like, you know, he's going to get back in the lineup. He's going to be Kyrie. He's going to have some 30-point games. He's going to be dribbling around people, making them look foolish, hitting these crazy um, shots in the paint and, and being the elite finisher that he is. Do you think the basketball side of things is eventually going to take over from what we've had to deal with the last three to four weeks? I think most definitely because Kyrie's that guy, even though obviously you can't really rely on him what goes on off the court. Obviously, he's got a history of it. Um, you know, you don't it's, it's kind of the, the series of the unpredictable. Right. But even with Kyrie, you could at least rely on him to give you that that needed scoring punch and that all star caliber play on the offensive end of the floor. Right. He's someone that can create his own shot. He's good in one on one situations. And that's where I think it's going to be the most intriguing part when it comes back to the Nets. Right. Because the Nets have been playing this 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 team ball. Obviously, last night, for example, you even look at it, 32 assists on 40 shots. So they thrive best when they move the ball and find open shooters, and Ben Simmons did that yesterday, right? Put Like I said, when he's able to show uh, or even poise that threat of being able to attack the rim and drive the rim, that's only going to leave room for outside shots and open shooters such as Yuta Watanabe, Seth Curry, obviously the Wings, and Royce O'Neal and Joe Harris. Obviously, Edmund Sumner's been some guy that also has been uh, a, kind of a surging in the three-point land as well. You know, so with Kyrie, it's going to be interesting to see how with him in the lineup and especially with him scoring the ball, 
you know, it's more of a one-on-one type of thing. That's what he's been known for in this Brooklyn era, kind of creating, being able to create his own shot. But at the same time, you know, you know, Jazz, like any superstar that's on the field, it does create gravity for his teammates when a guy like that is on the floor, especially with a guy like Kevin Durant, who's also going to be on the floor at the same time in spurts, right? So mm-hmm. I think the I think that's it's not going to be that hard, like kind of uh, fitting him back into the system after obviously missing eight straight. But at the same time, you know, with Jock, Jock, had, Jock has said commonly that he hasn't spoken with Irving since he got handed the team suspension. Uh, Kevin Durant said he hasn't talked to him since they went on the road. Um, so, but other teammates, obviously before the road trip, have said, "Hey, we're hopeful that he comes back on the what the four game trip," which he didn't. Um, we hope they could rejoin the group too to build that cohesion and continuity, which this team has lacked over the years, which we talked about in Volume One. Um, but you know, I think I, I don't think it's going to be too much of a problem. But at the same time, I'm more interested to see is okay when Kyrie enters the lineup, and especially obviously he's going to be the starter. Obviously, that's going to be a bump on Edmund Sumner's minutes. Cam Thomas is going to fall out of the rotation. Uh, obviously, Patty Mills is the mystery man here. What what's going to happen to his role? But at the same time, you know, I don't think it's going to be too big of a worry. But the ball movement's going to be the biggest thing. I'm going to see how that kind of gets impacted. Well, Chris, this last one we're going to talk about uh, about Brooklyn here. You mentioned you know getting Kyrie back, figuring out the rotations, looking at that Nets team, right, and and looking at the Eastern Conference as a whole. Um, the Indiana Pacers, I would say most people are surprised by the fact that this team is 7-6, yep. and six, anticipating they will drop down the standings. Looking at the Wizards, another team has some talent. Obviously, you got Bradley Beal, you got Chris Tapps Porzingis, uh, another team that might fall off. Do you think the Nets, they have enough talent, we know that individually, but in terms of as a team, do you anticipate the Nets to at least be a play-in team or potentially get into one of the top six? I do. I, I think at least they'll be a playing team. Team. I don't think they'll be in the plan this year. I think they're going to crack it. I think they'll probably be in the six, right? Because when you okay. do look at the standings, like I said before uh, on volume one, you know, when you look at those contending teams, they have lumbering big men. So they already have the advantage over the Nets, whether you want to view it as in the playoff matchup or even, even standings matchups, right? Because mm-hmm. look at the Celtics, for example. Once they get Robert Williams back, and obviously they're loaded with Al Horford down low who can stretch the floor, that's big. Milwaukee Bucks, obviously, Brooke Lopez has been a surging from three-point land, reinventing his game and really um, – uh, serving volumes there. Obviously, Giannis is another guy that they're going to have trouble uh, defending. Obviously, it's like Joel Embiid. You know, he's not one of those guys you can put on one-on-one coverage. You're going to have to send a double. The Hawks with Capella, uh, Cavs with Jared Allen. The Raptors, obviously, they're more of a small ball-oriented team, but they do have size and length that does capitalize over Brooklyn there. Plus, they have the continuity. Like you said, you look at the Pacers, for example, they're probably going to slide down once they're after this kind of hot streak. Wizards are kind of 50-50 in the air. We're seeing what they do at the deadline, right? Knicks, for example, they're like a mystery team. I expect them to be in the bottom half. Sixers are struggling. Heat are struggling. I expect, I expect both of them to go up. Bulls, they're a mystery team. Obviously, they got the hard hand when it when it comes to health. The Hornets, obviously, they're struggling because they haven't been healthy entirely for the whole season, stemming with Lamella Ball, series of ankle sprains. You know, I expect I would if I had to pencil in something, I'd say six. I could say it would be no surprise if they're in the plane at seven or eight. But I don't see them cracking the top five. I, I don't see it because, like I said before, the Celtics, Bucks, Cavs, Raptors, and you know when you and when the Sixers start to get the ball rolling here, I think that they'll probably take that final you know five six spot. Yeah, and then and another team that you look at like a team like Cleveland who you know was yeah. eight and, start eight and eight and six now, so who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, let's shift some focus here, Chris, onto the hottest team in the NBA. A lot of people would say they were the best team, obviously, from basically late December. Uh, throughout the end of the regular season last year. But looking at the Boston Celtics, they have been phenomenal. Winners of nine in a row, sitting at 12-3. and three. Jason Tatum definitely playing himself into the MVP conversation alongside guys like Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo. We'll see what happens again. That, that whole MVP thing can change uh, at any given moment. But looking at what the Celtics are doing right now and, and looking at the fact that this team um, over the last couple of weeks, the net rating is plus 12.9. Uh, mm-hmm. They've just been dominant. Uh, Tatum averaging 31.9 points over the last nine. You got Jalen Brown at 24. Malcolm Brogdon finding his groove with the Celtics when he was in the lineup. Looking at at that Celtics team, do you look at Boston, Chris, and just be like, this is a team to beat in the Eastern Conference? Although, you, you obviously, you got Milwaukee with Chris Middleton coming back. Drew Holiday is going to get healthy. That team is going to be nasty to deal with as well. But when you look at the Celtics, are they kind of the class of the East to you right now? I would, I would still put Milwaukee up there. 
right? I'm still gonna edge Milwaukee as the as the king of the East. I'm still gonna give them their credit. But with the Celtics, I think the most surprising thing and their biggest weapon, right? When you look at obviously Jason Tatum, the way he's turned into an NBA superstar, obviously Jalen Brown being the perfect Robin in that situation, obviously the complimentary pieces and the depth they have behind it who have been thriving, such as you look at a guy like Sam Hauser, right? Kind of came out of nowhere. Now he's yeah. six from three, right? Luke Cornett starting to obviously play pay big dividends off the bench for a guy that hasn't played that much in the past couple of years. Payne Pritchard's always been a good small guard, sharp shooter. Uh, fits that's kind of the way the Celtics play. But the biggest weapon, and I think people are starting to realize this, has been the Celtics' ability to with their off-ball screens. I think that's that's their been their biggest um, kind of weapon so far. Because when you when you really look at it, it's just that's what's being able to create open shots, being able to create the driving lanes, ball movement. It's really just sparking their whole entire offense. And I think people are really starting to realize that. And obviously that, that stems more than heavy with Jalen Brown and um, Jason Tatum. But, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because the only reason I don't want to give Boston saying, hey, you know, they're the best team in the East is because they still don't have Robert Williams, which obviously that's kind of ironic to say because obviously, obviously uh, Robert Williams is a beast. Mm-hmm on the boards and inside the paint. And he's definitely a matchup problem for a lot of teams, but you know, I, I just can't quite give them the edge over Milwaukee. Cause I think Milwaukee, their, their group has been together for so much time. Obviously you could say the same thing about the Celtics, but the, but Milwaukee has been there. They've done it. They put the right pieces around Giannis. They put obviously Chris Middleton's a guy too, right. That's still kind of uh, nearing a return when it does come, you know? So I don't know. What, what do you think? I'm I'm with you. I, I am so I am okay as like a Sixers covering the Sixers and coming from a Philly perspective. I'm petrified of the Bucks, and of course the Sixers are, are playing the Bucks tonight. You can catch that game on uh, ESPN as well. But I, I'm with you. I, I think Boston is 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 a very good team. I mean the Celtics I, I think are going to win 55 to 60 games this season. But when it comes down to a playoff series, and assuming both teams are at full health. I still put Milwaukee just a little bit up. And and again, you look at, obviously, the Celtics had to go through the Ime Adoka thing. They had to, you know, transition to Joe Missoula. By all means, has done a great job. But if you look at at what the Celtics have, and don't this is not, because I think Tatum, uh, maybe what, half a notch, like a notch below Giannis? You know what I mean? Yeah. When you look at, at, at just the individual prowess that those guys have as, as players and, and where they are in terms of in their careers, but then you look at the two, like Jalen Brown, like you mentioned, a great Robin to Tatum's Batman. But then also, to me, like, I just, I love the way Milwaukee plays. I, I do think that, you know, they don't go through the injuries they had last season, likely would, would be right there again with the Celtics playing for, for a title. And 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 so, I, I don't know, again, we're so early in the in the regular season, we're basically at the 15-game mark, you know, give or take, depending on, on who your team is around the league. Uh, I, I'm with you, I, but it, I, again, I think it's such a negligible, negligible difference that it's hard to say um, where these teams are going to end up ultimately, right? Because if you look at what the Celtics are doing right now, uh, they have the best uh, point differential. And and to me, I know people don't really care about that, but to me, point differential, even early in the season, shows how good a team is going to be come time for the end of the year, right? These teams like no, no. Port- Portland's 10 and 5, right? But their differential is plus 2. And so it's like, okay... 15 games in, we'll see where they're at at the 30-game mark, whereas a team like Phoenix, 9-5 and five at plus 6.7. And again, the Celtics lead the league at, at, at 7.1 differential. I think those teams are going to separate themselves as we get through the slog of the 82-game regular season. But again, lo- looking at Boston, like you mentioned, I mean, they got to get Robert Williams back, right? They get Robert Williams back. That is a huge game-changer for, for the Celtics in terms of giving them that rim protector, giving them that big man who kind of patrols everything in the paint. So... Uh, Again, I'm stuck in this thing where I like Milwaukee just a little bit, and that's because I I put Giannis so high on a pedestal compared to a lot of the other players in the league, and rightfully so. The guy is is a freak. He's dominant. He's great. So, uh, again, that's going to be the the interesting race, I think, in the Eastern Conference in terms of the regular season standings is who's going to finish on top out of those two teams because, again, coming from a Philly perspective, and we'll jump into some Sixers talk now too, Chris, is the plan was the Sixers are going to be right there with those teams, right? After yep. the offseason moves that they made, bringing in guys like Tucker, bringing in guys like DeAnthony Melton. Melton's been great, by the way, so far. Tucker, eh, so-so. You know, hasn't really uh, surpassed expectations at this point. Hasn't really done a good job of, of 
being a consistent shooter, even individually on defense, struggling a bit on the one-on-one. But when you're looking at at this Sixers team, one, three, or four now, getting back on track. Obviously, Joel Embiid was just a friggin' monster the last time they played, which was against Utah on Sunday. They basically had like a bye week this week, getting a chance to get healthy. Harden should be back in about the next two to three weeks here. Um, but Chris, looking at this now, obviously with from a from a Sixers perspective, when you're looking at this Philly team, are you surprised at all that they're sitting at seven and seven right now? I'm a little surprised, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily surprised because health hasn't been on their side. Obviously, that no bigger than James Harden here. You know, Tyrese Maxey, you kind of jumped on Joel Embiid's back when, obviously, you remember when he scored that kind of 59-point performance against the Jazz. And, you know, you could tell that it's not a continuity hit. And, obviously, one of those big performances, you expect reactions out of their teammates like that. And, obviously, Joel did it all against the Jazz. You know, there's the, you don't really have to – go much farther than looking at the box score here to determine his impact 59 points 11 boards eight assists third in 37 minutes seven blocks two that night chris seven. seven blocks two i was about yeah seven blocks two you know like that's a monstrous performance and obviously they got the bucks tonight 7 30 that's gonna be interesting because obviously you got Giannis, you got a relatively healthy buck squad you guys are missing james harden over there obviously he was i think i've 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 peeped a couple sixers reporters from the practice facility down in uh north and south jersey Mm -hmm. and i saw that obviously james harden's been in workout gear he's been moving around a little little bit so you know that you could start kind of penciling in and start counting down the days till his return but still going to be a few weeks away as you alluded to but you know with philly seven and seven that's not bad you know if if they say they play 10 more games, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I would want to see them not drop at least five games under 500 that hard. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to go that hard, that low. They do have a kind of a, an up and down schedule coming up, but you know, with, with Philly, I think Joel Embiid, this is kind of his time. Obviously, like I mentioned before in volume one, Tyrese Maxey's surgeon, especially now that James Harden is out. I think this is a big opportunity for him to prove himself. Obviously he doesn't have to prove himself too much because everyone knows that the rising star that he's becoming, especially at his age, well, you know, in the NBA, people don't really care about the the age of a player, especially if they're young. They want to see them improve now and become, try to kind of carve out that superstar role as soon as possible. Then I think, obviously, with Joel Embiid, he can't do everything out there. And I think it's a good opportunity for Tyrese Maxey to get out there and be like, okay, I'm here. Yeah, Maxey's been Maxie's been struggling as of late. And and, yeah. and looking at, at, yeah. at, at the Sixers as a whole, um, you know, he, he played really well, had a couple of really good games there where it was like, okay, Tyrese Maxey, you know, he's coming. He's still averaging 22.8 uh, for the season, but he's shooting below 45%. But you look at at what he brings to the table, and especially we saw this last season, right, without Ben Simmons in the lineup when they were going through the holdout and they had to figure out, okay, where's our secondary offense going to come from, if, you know, if Joel's struggling or Joel was out of the lineup for a few times and then Maxey kind of filled that void. But looking at as his recent games, you know, against Utah, struggled mightily, went 8 for 24 had a pretty good outing in the game before against Atlanta, but then 5 of 17 uh, against the Hawks in the loss. Against Phoenix, even though the Sixers won, he was 4 of 18, 10 of 29 against the Knicks. So they got to find a way, and and again, I don't want to jump into Doc Rivers talk because we talk about Doc Rivers a lot yeah. on the Liberty Ballers podcast network just in terms of what his shortcomings are, but he's struggled in getting Maxi in situations where he has been successful. And Tyrese Maxi, Chris, when he's at his best, is able to get the ball either off a turnover or off a miss, get it on the outlet, get up the court right away, fast break points, push the offense. That's where he's at his best. When you're asking him to create from a half-court perspective, it's not that he doesn't have the skill set. I don't think he has the refinement to his game yet, right? Mm-hmm. He's not He's not a guy who's going to be able to facilitate an entire offense. And again, this is has to do a little bit with personnel, with the fact that you also don't want the Anthony Melton running the, the pick and roll. But Maxi, for his for his part, uh, great in terms of attacking, going downhill, even being a scorer in the pick and roll, not great at being a facilitator. So again, I'm looking at what the Sixers can do differently to get him rolling over the next over the next two three weeks. Again, without James Harden in the lineup, but that is something that is going to be key because this Sixers team, like lo- looking at 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 the schedule for for Philly. It's not going to be easy, right? They're, they're playing, like I said, they got a, a tough game, a very tough game against Milwaukee tonight. Again, we're recording this on a, a Friday morning, uh, Friday afternoon. But looking at at, at the Sixers as a whole, um, you got that, that game coming up against the Timberwolves on a back-to-back. 
uh, coming up on Saturday, and then you got Brooklyn. Then you got some easy ones, right? Charlotte, Orlando, Orlando. But then you go through a stretch of Atlanta, Cleveland, Memphis. Again, tough, tough games to play without Harden. So I'm looking at this squad. If the Sixers are sitting at 10 and 10, 11 and 11, or you know, 12 and 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 10, whatever it is, as we're approaching the 25 game mark, the more this team fails to at least get some consistency, at least look like they're playing cohesive basketball, the more the pressure is going to ramp up on Doc Rivers. 100%. 100%. And I think that's, I think you hit it right there on the nail. I think they have to hover around the 500 mark. And especially for a guy like Doc Rivers, who's been in the head chair for some time, obviously hasn't been able to get over the top to the mountaintop. You know, there's the, he is on the hot seat. I would say, what would you say? I would say he's probably, if not the, the hottest coach, the hottest seat in the coach and coaches right now. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, who else, uh, who else, when you're looking around, you know, you're looking around the league, Steve Nash was, was the guy at the beginning. Like they were like, okay, if that, if that falls apart, he's gone, but looking around the rest of the league. Yeah. Nobody really, really struggling. I mean, even though the, the, the Warriors haven't won a single away game, Steve Kerr's not going anywhere. Right. Um, Darvin Ham just took over the Lakers, even though they're at three and 10, nobody really on the hot seat other than doc at this point. hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah, and, and and again, that that is going to be the storyline for for the Sixers throughout this entire season. Chris is if they, once this team and it's going to struggle at some point, they lose four or five in a row. They they you know go two and five in a seven game stretch. Everybody's going to be talking about what happens with Doc Rivers. So again, the Sixers have gotten a bit of a pass. They've dealt with some injuries, obviously without Harden, and then you got DeAnthony Melton's missed some games. Joel Embiid was sick; he missed some games. So that is 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 going to be the two keys for Philly is number one, you got an older team. Can they stay healthy? Number two, do you have the right coach in place? And, and again, that cloud is going to be hanging over the Sixers franchise until we get our answer come time for playoffs, unless Daryl Morey makes a change. Uh, Chris, let's take a little bit of a break here. I want to jump into Tuesday's game between the teams that we cover, the Nets and the Sixers. Plus, we'll talk some Raptors. We'll talk some Knicks as well. That's coming up. All right, we are back, um, Chris. Let's jump into this right now. Tuesday, right? I know there's still a, we're still you know a few days away from it, but everybody had this game circled on their calendar. Once the NBA released the schedule, we know the Nets will be in Philly, taking on the Sixers. Ben Simmons again, unless some injury thing happens or he wants to rest because they do have a back to back. The Nets do. I, I believe that's the first half of a back to back for yep. Brooklyn on Tuesday. You're going to be there. You're going to be at the Wells Fargo Center. How much are you looking forward to just being in the building for that one? I'm really stoked for it. You know, this game, obviously, like you said, everyone, not just Nets guys, not just Philly fans, not just like, you know, everyone in the NBA has this game penciled down, right? And it's 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 even builds more excitement because you saw the excitement level when Ben Simmons returned the Philly in street clothes, right? You saw yeah. the the animosity that was inside that building. You yeah. saw the Nets kick the shit out of them that game. Yeah, too, and, right? and, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was that one too, right? Kyrie, Kevin, and and they and they all went off, right? And now obviously, yeah, the J you have the James Harden factor in there too. Obviously, not this time around, but speaking on that past game, but you know this this time around, I expect Ben Simmons to play. You know, he's strung he's he's strung together two strong performances. Obviously, uh, Jacques Vaughn and Ben they both said that Ben has been doing uh, treatment on his knee every day. He's been putting himself in the best position to kind of put that soreness behind him. And, you know, obviously the Nets have been uh, up and down when it comes to obviously wrestling stars in these first couple back-to-backs uh, this this early in the season. I do expect on the first leg of the back-to-back them to come in all, uh, at least majority of all healthy. You know, I think Joe's going to play. I do think Seth Curry's going to play. I think Ben's going to play. I think obviously Watanabe's going to play. You know, it's I think that it's going to be a pretty clean injury slate. But I'm so excited to be in that building because obviously you, you want to see how Ben Simmons performs under those lights. Obviously, you know, it's it's one of those returns that I don't want to I don't want to go too far and stretch it. But, you know, I don't want to say it's similar to LeBron when he returned to Cleveland. But at the same time, me and you both know how Philly fans are. And it would not surprise me if that animosity meets meets that Cleveland LeBron. You know, oh, yeah. Hype, you know what I mean? Obviously, Cleveland LeBron, that's completely different because obviously the, the timing of everything and where Cleveland was and how the dismissal went, you know, he signed rather than got traded, you know, and all that. And, you know, I, I just think that it's going to be one of those, I think it's going to be the game. I don't want to say the game of the year, but I want to say not from a talent side, but I think from the outside circumstances, I think it's definitely going to meet that 
Okay. Oh, for sure. And I, I'm telling you, Chris, the Sixers fans are going to give it to Ben. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no like, – it's – Like me and you can't even put it into words how bad – Oh, no. No. They're going to you – know, they're going to light him up. They're going to be – I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I don't condone it. I wouldn't be surprised people start throwing shit at him. I don't know if people yeah. are whatever it is, but he is going to get lit up. But I do – you know, again, I, obviously I want the Sixers to win that game, but you want to see a good one, right? Because these are the ones that you're in November um, – you know, and this is just the, the the cycle of what it's like for the NBA season, where people are super into it leading up to opening day, and then you kind of hit a lull once you get, you know, maybe from game 15 to game 35, 40, and then the interest starts picking up again. Once the NFL season wraps up in, in, in February, you know, you go to the playoffs, then people start getting back into it again. But this is one of those games where you want to see this bad blood. You want to see the teams going in, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant talking shit to each other. You want to see yeah. Kyrie Irving getting into it with Tyrese Maxey. You want to see Ben Simmons, you know, egging on the crowd. Like that to me is, is what makes the NBA regular season fun. So for me, waiting for that game and, and looking forward to it, knowing what the anticipation is going to be like, it's like, yes, you know, give me more of this NBA, please. Because I'm like, I mean, I'm, I was born in the eighties. So I grew up where the, the nineties were Michael Jordan obviously was the king of the league. But to me, I miss those days, Chris. I, I miss the days miss of them. those, you know, the crazy rivalries where these two teams hate each other. You know it's a it's a regular season game number 47 for the teams at some point in February, and you are still just amped up to watch it. You know what I mean? And so that's why this is one of those games that I'm really looking forward to um, seeing the hatred, seeing the animosity, seeing how Joel Embiid uh, handles Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? Are they going to get into it on the court? Are they going to talk shit like that? That's what fires me up. As you can tell, the way I'm talking right now, I'm very much looking forward to Tuesday. Dude, I'm so stoked. Like, I, like I'm telling you, you just can't put it into words from a guy that's obviously covering the Nets and a guy that's covering the Sixers, right? We and you both know the type of excitement there is. And you hit, you hit it right there on the nail, too. Today, in today's NBA, all these players like each other. You know, they hang out off the court. You know, you have all that stuff. It's not like the 90s basketball or even obviously predating that where you have two teams that do not like each other, you know? Mm -hmm. And obviously I don't want to put that in the same realm of Nets and Sixers. You know, I'd imagine those two teams do like each other. It's just a battle of the fan bases, all the outside stuff that really goes into it. But then you have those other storylines that are built into it. You have the Harden thing. Obviously he's not going to be on the floor, but you have the past matchup in Philly, obviously where the Nets came in the town. Uh, they, they laid it down on the Sixers and their fan base. They quieted the fans. And obviously, you have the, the Kevin Durant loves to talk with Joel Embiid. You saw little flashes of like what he could do when it comes to Joel and the use of Nurkic last night. Obviously, anyone that watched the game in Philly knows what I mean. When uh, can you like you know when Kevin was talking smack to Joel Embiid, and then you look at how Ben's going to respond. You look at the atmosphere in the building. You know it's going to be sold out. It's one of those games that's probably been sold out for a while now, and you know like it's and you know I guess would you say too like. The Eastern Conference doesn't have a bona fide rivalry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like rivalry is a very loose term that gets tossed out in, in the NBA world, right? Whether, you know, obviously Cleveland, Golden State, you could argue that's been the last real rivalry in the NBA. But, you know, today there's not really any rivalries aside from location-based or, you know, a player gets traded and then there's that built-in thrown around, hey, it's a rival net rivalry now. But with the Nets and Sixers, they have the history, right? They have the D when D'Angelo Russell and that Nets team came in the Philly. They had that really tough, gritty playoff series. The fight broke out. Jared Dudley, uh, J uh, Jimmy Butler, you know, Joel Embiid. You have that to kind of like date it back on. And now with both teams being having championship aspirations, you know, I hope that this rivalry does turn into, and we could proudly say that, you know, after Tuesday's game, that this is a rivalry between these two teams. Yeah, we need that because you look at it, most of it is is geographical, right? In the in the Eastern yeah. Conference. It's like, okay, yeah, you obviously got the, the Philly, New York, Philly, Brooklyn, Boston, Philly, you know, like all these teams that are close to each other. But looking around, it's like, yeah, nobody, Atlanta beat Philly in game seven in June of 2021. That's not a rivalry. You know what no. I'm saying? I've had people, yeah, had, the first time they played each other last season, people were amped up to watch that game. But after that, eh, you know, nobody really cares. Even Miami, uh, beating Philly, Boston beating Miami. That's a bit of a rivalry that dates back to, you know, the Paul Pierce, LeBron days. 
um, you know, a decade ago. But other than that, I'm with you. There's nothing really there. And and so there's nothing juicy. There's no juice no, to it. No, we want to see that. We want to see that, right? Yeah, like there's nothing juicy, you know, like you hit it right there too. Like there's nothing juicy, and I just I just want like, you know. Like the Nets Knicks rivalry, that's all fan base driven. I don't, I won't even, I just call it a crosstown rivalry just because of the location. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all it is. And like, you know, same thing with other teams. Like you mentioned, it's all geographical. Obviously, Boston fans, Philly fans, they, they love their sports teams. They fight, you know, they get into little disagreements on social media. The fan bases clash. But Nets and Sixers have the ingredients and you just got to put them, stir them up. And, you know, with the, these two teams and how and how you can, can kind of predict the standings to go and everything, like, they're not a guaranteed first-round matchup. But at the same time, you know, that obviously barring health and everything else, they're bound to meet in the playoffs. They almost do the, here and there almost every few years. You know, they always meet in the first round or a second-round series. So, you know, I, I'm telling you, man, like, I've – like, you know, in Volume 1, I've said, I said I hope the Knicks get really good and the Nets – stay where they are because then you can actually have a rivalry there but the closest thing to the rivalry that on the eastern conference is this nets and sixers yeah yeah and hopefully that game that game does deliver on on tuesday because like i said i think that was the one that everybody looked at early on and said hey come time for november and you get into december like i said where, where things are kind of you know everybody's kind of sleepwalking through in terms of interest uh i think this is one of those games that everybody's looking for looking forward to uh let's transition chris to a team in the atlantic that is uh, looks like to be a perennial playoff team, not a championship contender at this point. The Toronto Raptors sitting at nine and seven, uh, in fifth in the in the Eastern Conference at the time of this recording, uh, looking pretty good overall, top ten team in terms of net rating overall in the league. But Pascal Siakam, Chris has been great. Twenty four point eight points, uh, averaging basically almost a triple double, nine point three rebounds, seven point seven assists. He's been phenomenal. Fred Van Beet, Van Vliet, pardon me, finding his footing. Uh, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., obviously the Rookie of the Year, reigning Rookie of the Year, and Scotty Barnes. Uh, when you look at the Raptors, and we talked about this in Volume 1, that a team that has a bunch of very good players, obviously Pascal Siakam playing at a different level right now, but lacking that true superstar. When you look at this Raptors team, where is their spot in the Eastern Conference pecking order? We've talked about the Milwaukee's, the Boston's being the elite of the conference. And then you got a bunch of those other squads, right? We don't we don't know what's going to happen with Philly. Maybe the Sixers do struggle to find their footing, even when James Harden does return. Miami not looking nearly as good as we've seen it being over over the last couple of years. And then you got obviously teams like the Raptors and the Cavaliers who are now struggling. Where do you put the the Raptors, Chris, in all of this? You know, I think I'm on the same page as you. They're that team that no one really wants to play in the playoffs. Mm. You know, they're they are that team, right? They're that team that, like you said, they lack a superstar. But you look at the guy, obviously they're nursing Siakam's injury right now, but you know, you have you have guys like obviously Fred Van Vliet battle test, OG Ananobi, who is one of those guys that everyone thought, okay, he's on the trade market, you know, he's the perfect piece for a championship contending team. You know, he went off against the Heat going for 32 points, 10 boards, just defense all around, 43 points. Then you look at like Scotty Barnes, who obviously hasn't missed a step for since his rookie of the year campaign with 19 and, and 42 minutes. And, you know, the, like me and you both know with the Raptors, Nick Nurse places guys hard minutes. You know, he's one of those guys that are very old school, doesn't really give a lot of rest days here and there. He's that guy that, like, you know, he, he'll he play his guys 40 minutes. Like, you look at OG Ananobi, like, against the Heat, it was a hard-fought game. They only won by eight points, but he played him 43 minutes. And then yeah. you look at Scotty Barnes, 42 minutes. Fran Villain-Fleet, 39 minutes. Bruce Shea, 25 minutes. Thaddeus Young, 28 minutes. You know, so he plays, he shortens his rotation. He keeps his guys playing hard. And like I said, like I'd see them, I think you're probably on the same page. I see them cracking the top six, being slightly out of the play in. You know, I could see that happening if they stay healthy, if they could get Siakam back and they stay healthy for the rest of the season. If not, I do see them being a play in team because of the depth in the Eastern Conference. If we all see how each team and kind of our projections for each team does fall into fruition here. But you know, like it's it, they're one of those teams that no one really wants to play in the in the playoffs. Like Philly, you saw it last year against Philly. You know, with Philly, yeah, people were scared going into that. Like were very scared. People were yeah. like, "Oh my god!" Like Philly, like they may get upset here. This is it. Like James Harden. Like obviously, me and you, you, you would agree too. James Harden has the most pressure out of any player to win a championship right now, right? I'd yeah. say I'd put him up there. I'd say if he's not, he's not one. He's two. You know, and everyone thought 
while the Raptors stole a couple games, like you know, they they're they're on the edge, and obviously the Raptors got the hard end of the stick when it came to injuries late in that series, losing Scotty Barnes and obviously Fred Van Vliet not being his full self. But you know, they're that team that's missing a superstar. You always wonder when Masai is going to pull that move and get a superstar, right? You want you always wonder. It's like okay, they have the draft compensation, they have the pieces to get a superstar. But Masai is so crafty with his ability to build a team that stays relevant and stays hard, like gritty. And they're always in the conversation, whether they're if they're not on the top, they're always in the middle. And, you know, I think Masai's doing a good job because I think, I think me and you both could agree here. I think with the Raptors, if they were to trade for a superstar, number one, they would have to trade away their picks. And that's not really where what because it's, it's so tough to call because, like, you know, the Raptors, they're that team that's a superstar way of really being a threat in the East. But at the same time, when you give away a lot of draft compensation, you would probably have to give away guys like OG Ananobi or a vet like Thad Young or, you know, even maybe even a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who's obviously getting a little up there in age, or Chris Boucher, who just re-signed on a deal. You know, you would give away a couple key pieces, and it they're at that stage where you could bring in a superstar, but is it really going to change that margin of winning? Well, and I, I think the the interesting part, Chris, for for a team like Toronto is you have to kind of go for it because you're not an LA, you're not a New York, you're not a Philly, a, a Boston, a Brooklyn, where these big markets where people want to go play, right? And so we saw the Raptors be like, "Well, screw it, you know, we're going to get rid of our our franchise cornerstone at the time, Demar Derozan, for Kawhi Leonard, even though they knew that Kawhi." likely wasn't going to sign i think they felt like they had a chance but and how often do you see that in in any sport where the best player like the mvp of the of the of the finals moves on to another team in free agency in the offseason right and so yeah. you look at the raptors and, and you mentioned with with Masai, widely regarded as if not the one of the best executives in the nba and and i agree with you it's like okay yeah you have og you have uh pascal siakam you have uh, fred van vliet these guys could lead you to a playoff round win you know you might get to the second round definitely not going to get to a conference finals I, I think just with the way they're currently constructed the Raptors but uh I don't know because it, it, it's tough they got all their picks coming up you know what I mean over the next uh basically all the way through 2029 they have their own they own their own first rounders so they can look at um, can't give two in a row because the stepping rule but you can all do the the yep. pick swaps and you could do the uh you know add a, a, a first rounder every couple of years going all the way through to 2029 at this point. But uh, again, I I don't know. I'm stuck on that team because Nick Nurse is such a good coach, widely, again, regarded as one of the top five X's and O's guys in, in the NBA. But what's the ceiling of this team, right? And and you look at the Raptors right now, they're top 10 in terms of uh, opponents' points, top 10 in terms of defensive rating. So th they have what it takes. And surprisingly, they're top 10 for points in the paint uh, given up, even though they don't have a true rim protector because that, that's a team that's like, hey, everybody – other than Fred Van Vliet, are six foot eight, six foot nine, and we're basically can switch everything, and and guys can play and guard one through five for the most part on that squad. But again, it's like they have this weird composition that what's the ceiling, right? Like, yeah. like you said, hey, if they get in as a six seed or a five seed, that's the best they're going to be. You know what I'm saying? I think the floor is very high too, where they're definitely going to be in the plan, but the the ceiling, it's nothing above a five seed in the East. So I think that's where. The Raptors are stuck in this. We're not shitty enough that we're going to get the first overall pick. We're also not good enough that we're going to win a championship. And if they keep all of these guys going forward, that's going to be the situation probably for the next, what, two or three seasons. And again, that doesn't serve anybody. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Like you hit it right. You hit it. You summed up literally perfectly. Like they're that team that's like, would you like they're stuck? You know what I mean? They're yeah. not, they're stuck because it's, they're not, they're not. Masai and the Raptors, they're not that organization that's going to intentionally tank. They're not that organization that, you know, you brought up the rule there. That was a good point of bringing that up with the obviously trading. You know, they're, they're, they're a stuck team, but like at the same time, you know, they are, and you could say, hey, it's obviously, it's, it could be an adjustment for players to go to Canada, you know, all that type of stuff. You know, that it, it's, it's all, it's been an attractive, free agent destination for a couple of role guys that are looking to revamp and you know that Messiah does a good job finding diamond the rough players you know but you know they're 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 kind of stuck here and you know with I'm just I'm intrigued to see when Messiah does indeed go for it you know when he mm -hmm. does go for it and it's not like you know because in the Spurs situation 
you know, it was inevitable that Ka- that uh, Kawhi was going to get traded, right? You saw everything that was building up in San Antonio. He wanted out, and Masai said, "You know what? Uh, we just we we just want to uh, go for it." And they, it paid off. It was the biggest gamble at that time. I'd say it's the biggest gamble, especially in the last couple decades. Oh, for sure. A, a loved player like Demar Derozan, and you're bringing a guy like Kawhi Leonard who did not have the Raptors on his free agent destination on his trade list, right? His uh-huh. trade destination list. The Spurs were like, "Hey, we're going to get back the best package available." And he went out. He won a championship, and he went to LA. You know, so I don't know. I like I said, they're a sleeper. They're 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 stuck. They're a sleeper, and they're one of those teams that no one wants to play in a first round series. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, I, that is their ceiling to me. I think if everything goes right, Chris, they can pull off an upset in in round one. Yeah. I'm not beating one of the top two or, or three teams in the East in a seven game series. It'd be a yeah, it would be like teams time. like the Cavs or the Nets, yeah, or the Sixers. It would yeah. be like you know those type of teams, you know. Yeah, but you go, you put those teams, put that this Raptors team again as constructed against a Boston, Milwaukee, five or six games that they're going to lose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's let's wrap up by talking about the team that oh, the second team, Chris Near, where where you are, the New York Knicks. Um, not bad so far this season. Yeah, the Knickerbockers are sitting at eight and seven. Julius Randle had a monster game on Wednesday in Denver, helped the Knicks uh, beat beat the Nuggets one hundred six, one hundred three, had thirty four and eleven. Jalen Brunson starting to find his footing as a hundred million dollar man there with New York, the Knicks in the middle of a West Coast swing, taking on Golden State Friday night. Then they got Phoenix on Sunday in OKC on Monday before returning home uh, next Friday for their first game back after the trip against Portland. But looking at this Knicks squad, and and obviously you're in the area, you're well-tuned with, with what's going on with the Knicks. Another team where not really what, – what is the expectation for the Knicks? Like, What would you consider a successful year for this iteration of, of the Knickerbuckers? First round, like, you know, make a first round series competitive, right? Okay. I think I think that's that's where I would put it as, you know, I think that's the expectations, you know, if, if not break, get carve out a like a gritty, tough play in advancement, you know, like battle a playing team, you know, advance and then get to the first round. You know, I think it's one of those two. If they if they can avoid the playing tournament against the first round, at least make the series competitive. If they could get if they in the play in, I would like to see just grit grind like like a nice grimy win like a wins a win in a series right something that they they like play hard it's a it's a visibly like great series to watch you know and then they yeah. advance on right it's it's nothing that's going to be clean obviously if they dominate that's huge but you know at least bring that that gritty stuff cuz me and you both know nba players attract to that stuff right mm-hmm. you look what they did the, the nets for example even in the fake they did the process right yeah. Those teams, or even during the process in the early years, you know, when teams are just clawing to get wins, the guys are like Jalen Brunson, for example, is like the perfect guy that they could have got. You know, I know a lot of people were against, obviously, the money that they gave him. Okay, is he a cor- is he your cornerstone point guard? You know, it's like a lot of people were kind of uh, had that up in the air as debates. But, you know, he's taking charges out there. He's getting on the ground for loose balls. He's obviously efficient from the field. He had 21 points, 7 of 13 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3 in 31 minutes. Obviously, you brought up obviously Julius Randle, who's obviously been up and down this season. And obviously, it's like it's like he's like the perfect – when people say, like, you know, that there's a, a love-hate relationship with a player in the, in the organization or on the team, it, there's no better example in the NBA than, like, Julius Randle, right, when it comes to Knicks yeah. fans. It's always up and down. It's oh, get him out, or oh my God, he's 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 him. You know, it there's oh, it goes either way. It's the perfect seesaw. Then you look at guys like Obi Topin off the bench, Emmanuel Quickly, who obviously has been struggling this year, Derek Rose, who's obviously been that veteran presence for them, R.J. Barrett, who's been you know I, I think a lot of people had higher hopes for him heading into this season. You know, I want I wouldn't want to call him the biggest disappointment on this Knicks team, but if I had to label one, I would say it's definitely him. You know. When yeah, he's struggling actually, shooting the rock too, right? I mean, he's yeah. shooting forty percent, twenty five percent from three too. So yeah, not looking, not it's looking, not looking too good. It's not looking great. I think he shot zero of nine from three against yeah. Denver. Yeah, and actually, bringing up that point, I actually wanted to get your opinion. I think we talked about some volume one. We got to go back to the hot chair. I think Thibodeau's chair is a little more hotter than Rivers, don't you think, or now? You, th- you think so? 
I don't really actually, again. I, I, again, it depends on. I, he's up there with with Doc. I, I just look at the expectations for each team, Chris. Right, like it's like okay, the Knicks. Who do they have? Right, Julius Randle's your best player. Yeah, fringe fringe all star. You know, Jalen Brunson. Same thing. I'm I'm talking like maybe an injury replacement guy for for Randle or 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 Brunson. Mm-hmm. Like, what's again? What's their ceiling? Right, like they're they don't. How can people be disappointed with 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 anything that happens with the Knicks? Because they're again, eight and seven on the year, you know, like they're they're. It's not like they're completely collapsing this early in the year. And plus, you also got to look like I, you know, like with the Knicks fans, I see a lot. That's why I'm, I brought up the hot chair thing because I see a lot of people talking about Thibodeau and the hot chair, and they want to move on from him, and they want to move on, or they they it's it's literally split down the middle, you know. And obviously, a lot of it's built out of emotion after games, you know, like a lot of it's built after that. And obviously, that's how the NBA works. I mean, you both know it's it's the game that breeds the most instant emotion. It's yeah. what happens in the moment, you know. But with with the Knicks, it's. Okay, like if you if you if you let him go, like I see a lot of people talking about the assistant Bryant, the yeah. takeover, right? Yeah. And, um, I could like sure, like I see that, but at the same time, like Thibodeau's Thibodeau's like I want I want to I don't want to compare him to Nurse, but he does play his starters a good amount of minutes. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's like that. He's short. He's always done that. Yeah, he's always done that. Even in the Chicago Bulls days. And uh, what was his other opportunity? He had the Bulls and some other opportunity. There was um, I forget Minnesota. Where Minnesota. That's where it was. Minnesota. Yeah. Obviously, things didn't things didn't go well in Minnesota with Towns. But you know, I, it's it's tough because I I don't get why people think he should be on the hot chair. I'm not like I'm not like fully invested in saying okay his seat's very hot, but at the same time I'm seeing a lot of people talk about it, and when you look at just like how they're doing this year eight and seven you know and do you have guys like Jalen Brunson playing well Julius Randle's been up and down Cam Reddish has been a spark you know yeah, he's, he's been good uh, defensively too lately as well defensively you know with his three and D presence obviously his size you know obviously RJ Barrett you know I, you have to put a lot of it sometimes on the players too you know I think the Knicks are a perfect example of that where there's a lot of guys that are up and down this year and Thibodeau's in that spot because I know a lot of Knicks fans have been also saying, hey, play the youth, play the youth, right? Quickly gets more – quickly should get more minutes. He's playing 28 minutes. You know, yeah. Jericho Sims has been playing 19. Obi's playing 23, you know. So – and I love the Hartenstein uh, edition. I talked about that in volume one. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, it's – it's and Evan Fournier is uh, – coach's decision sometimes and – you gotta wonder what they're gonna do with him, you know. Especially if if, if they're if they're sold on Cam Reddish, you know, and they're sold on if they want to continue. Obviously, the Jalen Brunson R.J. Barrett, you know, duo. Um, because Fournier, hey, could be a good six man for you guys. But when you guys got when you guys you get guys like Obi Topin, who obviously has been uh, efficient. I want I'm gonna say efficient here, uh, lightly. Which is a compliment. Which is a compliment, right, Chris? It's a compliment. You know, he's been, (laughs) you know, compared to last year and the years before, like the year before, you know, he's been strong from three. You know, I think, I think the Knicks just have a big puzzle to solve. I think that's what, I think that's what it is. It starts with the players. Well, they're going to, here's the thing, right? We'll wrap up in a couple of minutes here, Chris, but looking at, at, at this Knicks team, right? And the schedule through the end of the year now, wouldn't be surprised if they're sitting at something like 15 and 15 or, you know, 14 and 16, somewhere around there at the 30 game mark because their schedule, they have some cupcakes coming along games. They should win with this Knicks team. You can't really say, you know what I mean? They're not obviously the upper echelon that you look at and say, well, they should beat Detroit. They, you know, they should be able to, to beat Charlotte. It's like, well, those are winnable games that they have on the schedule um, coming up through the end of the year. So I don't know where they're going to fit in, but I want to wrap up on this. Like you look at, at this Knicks squad, they got five first round picks over the next three drafts, right? Um, some of those heavy protections on them too, depending on what happens with the teams. Like they own the Mavs pick, the Pistons, the Wizards. And then again, these picks could all be moved um, to the future, depending on what happens with those squads. But let's just look at, at the NBA landscape right now. And and we talked about this on volume one. And I think this is a huge part of the season as well, where there's so much parity in the league this season. You don't, don't, you don't know who's going to win the championship. You have your teams that you feel like are going to be there. Like we mentioned, the Bostons, the Milwaukee's, uh, Phoenix. We think Denver is going to uh, be good. We think uh, the Warriors will figure it out as we go along the season. The Memphis Grizzlies, another team that should be able to figure it out. But looking around for what the Knicks have in terms of future assets, they obviously have the market. Although New York hasn't been the hottest, you know, free agent destination in in a, in a long time, 
given the ownership there with James Dolan and, and people not maybe wanting to play there. Um, is there a few, a superstar available, Chris, that you look at around the league that maybe it's time for the Knicks to cash in their chips? They were heavily linked to Donovan Mitchell throughout the offseason. Obviously, he's in Cleveland now. But is there somebody you have an eye on that, hey, maybe the Knicks are going to push their chips to the middle of the table and say, we're going for this guy? It's 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 tough, right? Because that's why I brought up the Fournier point, and they do have the picks. A guy I've been looking at, you know, I want to say John Collins. Okay. But, you know, I do yeah. like that. I do like that fit. I know the Russell Westbrook has been tossed around a little bit, you know, and you know, obviously you look at guys – you look at how the Thunder's doing, and obviously they're they're massive. You can't even put into words the draft compensation they have, the draft capital they have. Yeah, they have ninety seven picks over the next four, yeah. four years, right, Chris? Yeah, half, like more than half of them are first round picks that yeah. are like with no protections on them. So you got to wonder. It's a stretch here, you know. You got to wonder. Okay, Shea Gildas Alexander's doing very well over there. You mm-hmm. know, you got to wonder. Okay, if the, if if the Knicks do decide to go in deep and say, you know what. This guy has proved himself. Do we want to make him the, the 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 point the point guard? And, you know that's obviously going to be weird because you have the Jalen Brunson, but I can imagine they could probably work something out and move RJ to the three or something. You know, do do something there. Then you look at guys like I'm trying to think here. You have like Boyan Bogdanovich, maybe right? He's been yeah. a hot name. You know, even though he's I think he just got the extension too. He so did he's with under, the uh, yeah. He's under money. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think the Knicks could kind of not go the superstar route, but maybe load up a little bit on their depth, right? You guys got you guys got like Doug McDermott, even though that they have Isaiah Hartenstein, like see what see another little Thunder guy that probably cost you a couple picks would be Derek Favors, right? The guy that hasn't really been he's been efficient, but he hasn't been one of those kind of uh he's been a vet that's um you know, he could provide a backup role for a contending team, you know what I mean? But like yeah. you never know. Like maybe uh, Terrence Ross. I'm trying to think like Buddy Heald, right? Yeah. And then, like, you know, if they if they do want to go starters, you know, you look at like maybe a guy like Rashawn Holmes, right, on the Kings, someone that hasn't really been able to carve out mm-hmm. a role over there, right? Then you get obviously John, the, the guy that's been obviously traded galore over these past few years, Josh Richardson, right? Yeah. And then if they want to shoot big, if they want to go, if they want to go all in and all out, you know, I would say, okay, you could look at guys like Miles Turner, right? This guys mm-hmm. over there. Bradley Beal, I'm not going to say he's on the trade block. I don't think he is. But, you know, if you if you present something uh, worth talking about to the Wizards, you know, I think the t- tides could go. And obviously DeAndre Ayton, you know, obviously you got to wait till December 15th. But that's another guy. So they have, I think, I think what the Knicks should do, and I know a lot of guys, they've been craving superstars. They're all... Obviously, with Donovan Mitchell, it's kind of a bummer that they missed out on him. And, you know, you read the reports of what went on. And, you know, you saw what, uh, obviously, the Jazz got in return uh, from Cleveland. And, uh, obviously, that heated up some fans even more. But I think I think if you if you comp- if you you make the team a little more, if you, you make them a little more deep, you know, you make them deep and you kind of do the gamble on, you know, let's let's gamble on R- uh, Randall. Let's gamble on Brunson. Let's gamble on RJ. Let's, let's r- continue to ride with Cam. And obviously split it with Obi in the minutes there. You know, I think if they just supplement a little bit, get a little deeper, I think that's the way to go. What do you think? Blow it up. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, because I mean, again, what's the what's the ceiling here, right? Like, what are you hoping to do? You you look at this Knicks team, and we've heard about them for years, right, Chris? I mean, you obviously living in the area, you know what it's like. Where hey, they're going to be in on Kevin Durant, they're going to be in on LeBron James, they're going to be in. You know what I mean? Like, we've heard this stuff for years a decade you know like ever since Melo was there that they're gonna do it and it's like you don't you have a bunch of future first round picks i think okc is doing it right at this point you know what i mean you got shay gilders alexander you can give up him for a boatload given how good he's playing so far but you look at at, at what the knicks are it's like okay 41 and 31 a couple of seasons ago ended up losing to the hawks that was the year atlanta beat philly uh 37 and 45 last season but you look at this where are they? And and what is the point of all this? Julius Randle, yeah, he's a nice player. Nobody's given up a treasure chest to get him. Jalen yep. Brunson, another very good player, but not going to trade him in, in year one of that deal unless you get a, a godfather offer that you can't refuse. Like, what is the point of this team? Even with R.J. Barrett, I like him. I think he's he could be a very good player eventually, but struggling at this point. Yeah, he's only 22, um, still has the potential to grow, 
But again, these, none of these guys are moving the needle. And if you look at that Eastern Conference, either you're trying to win a championship this year or you're building for the next two. And I think the Knicks are stuck somewhere in between. They have the assets. If they can make a, a run at, at somebody, like, you know, the guys you're mentioning, guys like Buddy Heal, John Collins, are they going to move the needle? Not really. Not you really. know what I mean? No. So, and I think that's where that's where the Knicks are kind of stuck in this situation that, hey, either commit to rebuilding and commit to sucking and commit to trying to, you know, nail that, get that first round, uh, you know, franchise altering guy with the number one pick, probably not going to be this year with Wembenyama or Scoot Henderson, but looking at, um, you know, the future years, that's what the Knicks should be able to do. And if they're not, again, if you're not contending for a championship, you should be at the bottom of the standings. There's no point getting in the, like, and they have a different, a different measuring stick. And I, I said this before, teams like the Memphis Grizzlies were getting to the second round last season, pushing the Warriors to six games. That was a win for a team like Memphis because you have a bunch of 23, 24 year old, 22 year old guys that are looking to build on experience. Whereas for the Knicks, what are they? You know, getting to the first round and losing, that's not going to be an accomplishment and nobody's going to care in the long run. So I think the Knicks are stuck. I think Leon Rose needs to make a decision what they want to do in terms of, hey, do we want to actually go for at least try and contend, which means to get those first round picks, try and get in a, a superstar and go for it or start trading off the Randalls, right? Maybe look at moving RJ Barrett. Maybe look at trying to get something for Obi Toppin down the line for a future asset, although he's young and still has room to grow. So again, I, I think the Knicks are, are, are one of those teams too that's stuck in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Chris, let's wrap up on this. We've been going about an hour here. Uh, last one for you. Are you a World Cup guy at all? I love the, oh my God, I can't wait for Sunday. You know what sucks though? A lot of the games are at 5 a.m. Yeah, well, yeah, that that is the the stupid part. You, I'm you not guys, a, you guys on the West Coast have it a little more lighter. You know, you got at least you could roll out of bed at like you know eight or like you know you could roll yeah, out of yeah. bed and bang. Well, we got the two we got the two a.m. games too though here. That's the that's the crappy part, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the, the other thing. Like, cause it, it's like you know, like I, like obviously you know, like my mom's from Spain, my family's all Spain. You know, like so that that been a big Spain guy obviously for the longest time since the Fernando Torres days. So it's like. Yeah. You know, it's I, I I have to give it to Brazil. You know, because when you look at uh, to just sum it off, you're like you gotta give it to Brazil because a lot of these World Cup teams they're not they missing a lot of key guys. A lot of key guys went down with injuries. Sadio Mane, like yesterday, for example. Yeah. You know, obviously, yeah. his team then obviously have a lot of potential to win it all, but Brazil are just so deep. And then you look at other teams, Argentina. You know, the, it's always the favorites. You know, Germany's mm-hmm. a sleeper. Belgium, are they actually gonna get over the top for once? You know. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm Spain all, all in all. You know, I'm, I got to ride with my boys. You know what? I will say this because okay, so I'm Canadian, so naturally Canada has sucked, right? Most of my uh, adult life, the last time they made the World Cup before this was 1986. Um, so we, by default, my dad is a big Brazil fan, loves uh, Pele. Um, so we, we we've cheered for Brazil. Last time they won was 0-2 with the, the dangerous Ronaldo, Ronaldinho. Uh, Rivaldo teams that they had, Roberto Carlos. I remember the, the four R's. Um, so I'm with you. I'm rolling with Brazil. But I will say this. As a Canadian, Canada's going to beat Belgium on Wednesday. I, I'm going to make that bet. It. I'm going to put money on it. and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. It won't be a lot because I'm not a big gambler, but I am going to put my money where my mouth is. I think Canada's going to come out of that group because the Canadian team, I'll tell you, they finished on top of CONCACAF. Um, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, their counterattack is dangerous. They're, they're going to surprise some teams. Don't think they're going to get. You guys got a nice little supplement of goalies too. You got a nice little. Yeah, yeah, we got a couple of MLS guys. So I, I do think they're, they're they're the Canadian team will. I just want to have fun with it. I love the World Cup. I don't know how I feel about all this playing in in November and December. Sure, it's fun. Where on Thanksgiving Day you're going to have three World Cup games and then you got NFL going on. Um, you know, so that that's kind of fun. But over there, it's going to be hot over there. You yeah, guys and did you hear this morning? Now they're saying they're not going to even they're not going to even sell beer anymore. Alcohol. Like, what is the point of this? Why are you even doing I it? Know. It's just like I, I I read the articles a couple days ago that beer is like eighty dollars a pop. And like and I was just like, oh. And I know like I have a couple cousins that are going over there. They want some like ticket contest. And yeah, the, yeah. That's yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I I I'm not a fan. I prefer it to be you know where it's usually starts in June, ends in July because that gives us that time to cover the void in the sports world. You know what I mean? Where there's no. Uh-huh. I'm not a big baseball guy, so for me like not watching the NBA, not watching the NFL. Um, during those those months, and then obviously the camp starts for for football in in August. But you kind of get that that coverage of time where people want to watch the game. So I, I'm looking forward to it. It's interesting that it, obviously it's happening in in November, where a majority of of the continent is is dealing with cold weather. So 
Um, it'll be fun. I'm obviously looking forward to it. I love the World Cup every four years. There's going to be a surprise team, but I'm with you. It's going to be the Brazils, the Argentinas, the Germanys. You know what I mean? The, these teams that are at the top of the FIFA rankings already because we never see a upset, you know what I mean, in the World Cup or like a surprise team come out and win. You know what I'm saying? No, it's it's you, you always could predict the group stages, who's going to advance and see it from there, you know. But like, all right, one one quick thing. Put put your money where your mouth is. Who's winning the golden boot or the golden uh, whatever they call it? The golden boot for the most goals? Most goals. You know what? I'm going to say this. I know he's he's old at this point, but I feel like Cristiano Ronaldo, given the okay. fact that he's 37, given the fact that everything's happened with Man United that, you know, ending on a, on a sour note there, uh, likely not going to play again for, for Man the transfer United. Value. Yeah, but I, th- I think he's going to have a point to prove. Um, I like him, and I, and again, I'm with you. I think Brazil, obviously, the betting favorite, and everybody's looking at that team. So maybe Neymar does it this year. You know what I mean? It feels like he's been playing for Brazil since like 1985. You know what I'm saying? So even though he's only 30, but uh, I, I would say with either Neymar or, or Ronaldo. What about you? I'm gonna go with a, a dark horse here, and I'm I, I'm debating on I can sprinkle a little money here. I'm going with Charleston on Brazil from Tottenham. Okay, right. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm gonna go with him. I'm I've, I'm feeling he's gonna lead. I, I have a good feeling about it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for I'm looking forward to watching it, Chris. Like I said, I mean I don't I don't give a crap if I have to get up early. Uh, it's gonna be fun. Oh, it, I'm gonna it, be up at five a.m. Yeah, man. I mean, looking at this for us, dude. Like as sports, you know, junkies that we are, this is an awesome time for us. You got the NFL, you got NBA, you got World Cup going on. I'm a bit of a hockey guy too, as a Canadian. Yeah, so like every every love Devils all the way. Yeah, we well, see. I'm a Canucks fan, and they stink and they're shit. So yeah, that's yeah, that's, gotta, that's for another day too. But uh, let's let's wrap things up here, Chris. We're not going to be doing this next week, obviously, with, with the holiday with Thanksgiving. Uh, but we'll connect again in a couple weeks. Going to start maybe doing some more live streams and and getting some guests on for you all. So we're just getting warmed up. Um, if you all have any feedback, you guys want to tell us we suck. You want to tell us you love the show. Whatever it is, don't hesitate. You can reach out to both of us. You can hit up Chris on Twitter at yes, C Milholland. That's M I L H O L E N S B. And then you can hit me up as well at JazzKang21. That'll do it for volume two of the Atlantic Division mixtape. Like I said, we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, trying to get some guests lined up for y'all. And we're definitely going to be talking some more, obviously, Atlantic Division as well as World Cup as well. So, Chris, um, enjoy Thanksgiving next week. Enjoy too, the start of the World Cup, and uh, we'll connect again in a couple weeks. We'll connect soon. Happy Thanksgiving, brother. You too, man.